Welcome. You are listening to the Community Conversations podcast published by Blood Advances, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. My name is Dr. Nikhil Munshi. I'm director of the Basic and Correlative Sciences at the Jerome Lipper Multiple Myeloma Center at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and associate editor of Blood Advances. I'm your host for today's interview with Dr. Stephen Trion, director of the Bing Center for Waldenstrom's Macroglobulinemia at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. We are discussing his recently published manuscript titled Insights into the Genomic Landscape of MYD88 Wild-Type Waldenstrom's Macroglobulinemia. Thank you for joining us. Um, as we all know that uh, uh, just a few years ago, Dr. Trion um, published his seminal work in describing MYD88 mutations in Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia. He described that it is present in uh, almost all patients, over 90 to 93%, and it drives the disease. And based on his very important work, now therapies are being developed, and he was pioneering in developing ibrutinib for treatment of Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia. It's one of the first approved drugs for this disease. However, during that study, it was identified that very small number of WM patients, around 5 to 7%, do not carry MYD88 mutation, and that is, remains an enigmatic patient population um, uh, whose genomic basis uh, was unclear. So in this published report, Dr. Trion described the landscape of MYD88 um, wild-type Waldenstrom and has studied the genomics of it, uh, and, and it's likely to inform various aspects of this. So Dr. Trion, congratulations on this wonderful work. The question that comes up is, what does this work tell us about WM? Your work shows that MYD88 is diagnostic for WM. So does this work suggest that MYD88 negative Waldenstrom is not really WM, or is it one, or one of many subgroup of the disease based on the reported genomic findings? Thank you, Dr. Munshi. First of all, I want to thank Blood Advances uh, for making this opportunity possible, because in the publication, although you'd like to see um, all the messages captured, it really is nice to have this opportunity to be able to expand on the work. Um, fundamentally, this was one of the questions uh, that we had going into the study, was to try to see whether or not we would see evidence of either uh, one disease or multiple diseases being uh, captured within Waldenstrom's based on this genomic insights. And it's important to remind um, folks that morphologically, and in fact for many of the clinical characteristics that we see in patients with Waldenstrom's, there is a commonality whether the MIDI-D8 mutation is there or not. So if you're looking at the slides from a bone marrow biopsy of a patient with MIDI-D8 mutated or not mutated disease, it would be very hard to separate them. The level of IgM that they produce is similar, and in fact many other clinical characteristics of the disease are in fact uh, the same. And so just looking at it as a clinician, 
we don't see differences. And a priori, we wanted to know whether or not mutations that existed in the mediated wild type population perhaps were in the pathway of those that we had uh, anticipated from the mediated mutated population. What we found here was actually a, a bit surprising, but it ended up explaining to us the commonality that even though we identified multiple somatic mutations within the NF-kappa-B pathway, these uh, were not necessarily, um, you know, the, the, the mutations that would end up explaining the entire uh, phenotype of the disease. But yet, you know, the characteristics of these patients were very similar. So I think it's important to reference the work that's, uh, that appears in Figure 3 of this paper, uh, looking at the transcriptional activity. And what we see is that uh, despite genomic differences, despite different mutations um, that we see in the mediate wild type uh, individuals, that the transcriptional profile is actually very similar. And when we did principal component analysis of the 500 most differentially expressed genes, differentially expressed relative to healthy donor B cells, these overlapped whether you were mediated mutated or not. So it tells us that even though we're seeing this genomic heterogeneity within the mediated wild type population, transcriptionally, we still see a similar transcriptional profile. And I think this is important because it, tell, you know, it explains to us, at least at a uh, transcriptional level, why the similarity exists um, and that even though these are genomically heterogeneous entities, they're still transcriptionally similar and explains why this should still be considered Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia. So th that's very interesting that um, although genomically different, they have reasonable functional similarity based on the pathway affected. So this brings about a question, do these patients have a different clinical course? Do they, uh, do they have a higher incidence of disease transformation or do they have a decreased survival? Does, does your work provide any insight into that? Yes, I think that actually is one of the important messages of the paper that when in fact you look at the mutations in the NF-kappa B pathway in particular, um, these are very similar to the ones that we see in DLBCL. In fact, from both the work that was done at um, you know, uh, Dr. Stout's lab and recently published as well as uh, Dr. Margaret Shipp's uh, lab, um, and when we look at the somatic mutation list that they generated for DLBCL, many of the mutations that we found actually are on the same list. And uh, I think this explains to us why we see a higher incidence of disease transformation in mid wild-type individuals, and also why among those individuals um, that transform, we see shorter survival. And in fact, the mid wild-type population uh, based on our work, uh, in fact, has uh, decreased survival relative to those individuals that, mi that are mediated mutated. And it is largely because of uh, that increased risk of transformation. So, so then the question comes up on therapy. Do you think these patients with wild-type MYD88 um, have any difference in responsiveness to ibrutinib? Yes, we actually see that in the ibrutinib monotherapy studies um, that we conducted that the patients that were mediated wild type did not achieve um, the deep responses and what responses they achieved were minor in character and the patients progressed. Uh, I think this is really a, an important paper that speaks to that observation because when you 
look, in fact, at the NF-kappa-B mutations, uh, they're all below BTK. Um, so um, you would not anticipate that if you inhibited BTK that you would be able to uh, affect the growth and survival of these tumor cells. So then the buzzword these days is personalized therapy. So do you think your current work now allow us to have some selection of therapy for these specific patients um, and their subgroups? Yeah, I think that's a great question because ultimately, you know, whatever work you do, you want to see what the translational value of this is. And I think we have some insights as a result of this work. We clearly have identified um, mutations in, in, in the NF-kappa-B pathway that would be amenable uh, to a more targeted uh, treatment approach. Uh, the mutations in the CBM complex, for instance, could be treated with a MALT-1 inhibitor. We also see a number of mutations, including PTPN13 mutations that affect I-kappa-B alpha signaling that might be amenable to uh, proteasome uh, inhibitors. But then again, we have a large number of mutations in TBL1XR1 as well as uh, various NF-kappa-B components that I think we still have a lot of work to do to better understand how to approach these mutations from a selective targeted point of view. And in these patients, you know, at least in the interim, you know, utilizing um, bendamustine-based approach might be the most uh, active uh, for these patients. Uh, we will need to do clinical trials and take into account uh, the various uh, genomics, but I think the insight from this paper is that we do have the opportunity to develop targeted therapeutics that some are already here and can be uh, put to use. And, um, you know, as we look forward to the future, we, better, uh, we need to better understand how these mutations fit into a, um, you know, a more coordinated way of uh, treating these, these patients. So, to f so finally, to sort of sum it up, um, in a very short, how would you say a pa practicing physician should uh, handle a WM patient? If a patient shows up and you do MYD88, mutation, which would be, I would guess, the first step, what would you tell them they should do with positive and negative patients? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so I think it's very important, and just as we see in the NCCN guidelines, you, you want to make sure you get the mid-ED8 mutation status. Now, keep in mind uh, that even though almost all the mutations are the L265P variant, there are some non-L265P mid-ED8 mutations, and they're not amenable to the typical uh, PCR testing. So if you test for the patient by PCR, it's totally fine as a first pass. You'll pick up the vast majority of mid-ED8 muta you know, mutated patients. But if you have a uh, wild type, make sure that it's really wild type. Uh, I think that's the kind of patient that you want to make sure had sufficient disease you know, in order to be able to do the PCR. And if it does really come back wild type, you might want to consider Sanger sequencing or next generation sequencing to make sure that they don't have another type of mid activating mutation. You'd hate to miss that because those patients do respond to ibrutinib. Uh, and I think it's also important to consider doing the CXCR4 mutation as well. We see it in up to 40% of Waldenstrom patients. I think it'll give you a lot of insights into the disease presentation, but also the individuals that are CXCR4 mutated uh, tend to have a uh, slower response to ibrutinib, so that actually sets expectation. And uh, the responses um, usually are not as deep and they tend to be shorter, although the median progression-free survival in our study that we updated uh, was 42 months in previously treated patients. 
you still get a lot out of ibrutinib, but I think it gives you some important information in terms of expectation. And then there's also uh, the work being done right now to develop CXCR4 antagonists, and I think uh, you know we will be seeing a very different landscape in a few years to come. Okay, so thank you so very much, Dr. Trian. Again, congratulations on this very important work, and we look forward to newer advances in this uh, uncommon disease. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to Blood Advances Community Conversations. Visit bloodadvances.org to listen to more author interviews and to subscribe to the Community Conversations podcast. Music for the Blood Advances Community Conversations was performed by the Art Topelo Trio and provided by Dr. Art Topelo. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology. We thank you for listening.